Hello and welcome to another episode of Attacking Third, the Olympic preview episode. I'm Sandra Herrera, joined today by my colleague and co-host Lisa Roman. So excited to get into a hefty, hefty, hefty size Olympic preview for everybody. And there's a lot to get into here. So we were joined today by a very special guest. We needed to really get into the meat and potatoes of this supersized American Olympic preview. So we're joined today by Lori Lindsay, currently an NWSL analyst for CBS Sports. She made 31 appearances as a midfielder for the United States Women's National Team from 2005 to 2013. She helped the team to a 2012 Olympics gold and earned a silver medal in the 2011 FIFA Women's World Cup. Lori, we're so excited to have you today. How are you? Oh my goodness. Thanks for having me on. Love chatting with you too. So I'm excited. It's almost a little bit of a deja vu, right, Lisa? <laughs> we did we did uh, an, an U.S. roster Olympics reaction episode via Kegolasso. And Lisa, we're back. We're back with Lori. We are back. We started with my other half, Kegelazo, and now we're here, my better half. No offense, Kegelazo, <laughs> but I'm with these lovely ladies. Again, we're talking the Olympics, but not just the U.S. We have some roster updates that have happened, but also taking a look at our group, some tall tales we have to face before we get to those knockout stages. First group is, is going to be a doozy, but we're here to break it all down for you. And we have Lori, of course, who's insider. She's actually, Lori, you're calling games for this Olympic. You're going to be an analyst. Um, congratulations. That is huge. That is huge. What games are you calling? Where can we find you? Where can we watch you? Uh, yeah, well, thank you. First of all, um, uh, I'm pumped and it's starting to get really real now that we're less than a, a week away. So it's like, Oh goodness. Um, here we go. Um, but I will be calling, let's see the, the very first match. So it'd be great Britain versus Chile. Then I have um, Canada versus Japan, and then I'm also doing some men. So I have Ivory Coast versus Saudi Arabia. Um, I think the following week is Ivory Coast versus Germany, and then a quarterfinal match um, for the women as well. So yeah, I'm excited. All on NBC. Some will be on the Olympic channel, but honestly, just go to NBC.com. They'll have all the information, and then everything will be digital if you don't or can't get yourself up at like 3.30 in the morning, which... We also understand that. So <laughs> plug, 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 NBC, yes. watch Lori, yeah. watch these Olympics and listen to Lori. Um, yeah. So lots of notes, lots of boards. I'm sure you're pre preparing and lots of coaches calls and also lots of coffee. Me too. Yes. Me too. Sandra and I as well. We'll have <laughs> I'm gonna need big that cup, big pots of coffee brewing early in the morning for us. Like different, like I'm not, I'm going to treat myself, honestly, like different types of caffeine. That's going to limit Ooh, yeah. it. Yeah. You have to, you have you're to. probably going to get a lot of tea with like heavy caffeine in it. Might, might experiment with those seltzers that have a little bit of caffeine in them as yeah. well. Uh, I'm going to get some flavored, yourself. I'm going to get some flavored coffee, step out of my, my normal regular for a little bit, get some yeah. chocolate flavor flavor. I'm going to be checking know. in with you. I'll show you what I have during the games. I'm going to yeah. see what you all are doing when you're it watching it. It'll be like our version of a heat check. It's not yeah, going to be the shoe game. It's going to be like the drink game. The check-in. Yeah. The check-in. So <laughs> like, it's like what's the caffeine check-in right now. It's going to be, it's going to be so good. Uh, real. If, if you're, if, if you're like us folks, you're going to be paying attention to this, the Tokyo games over here stateside. Uh, so it's going to be some real, real witching hours uh, for sure. Uh, if you need uh, access to a schedule or if you need help finding out where the games are going to be on, like Lindsay said, you can go take a look at NBC. We've got some stuff written up for you guys on CBS sports for the scheduling as well. If you, if you need uh, to, to pinpoint 
the date, the time, the place, wherever. Uh, so go ahead and check that out. Uh, it's up there and available for you all. Uh, but we got to get into some, like I said, the meat and potatoes of of what's going to be happening. The, the the team that we're truly going to be keeping uh, our eyes on. There's there's not as many as, as maybe compared to to a World Cup. Only 12 teams that participate for the women's soccer competition in the Olympic Games. Uh, we've got Group E with Japan, Canada, Great Britain and Chile. Group F with China, Brazil, uh, Zambia and Netherlands and Group G this sort of group of death that they've been posed as and, and really the group that we're going to be focusing on here in this Olympic preview, which features Sweden, the United States, Australia, and New Zealand. Homies, when we got together last time, it was to recap the full roster that head coach Black Andonoski had finally named. He narrowed it down to 18 at the time with four alternates to take to Tokyo. And there's been a little bit of a recent development Ahead of the Tokyo Games, the uh, the IOC went ahead and and said, "Listen, we hear you, Netherlands. You know, we hear you, United States. We hear you." Sweden. It was a collection of teams that sort of were like, "Hey, maybe we should widen these rosters a little bit in light of the ongoing pandemic, a lot of uncertainty going on with with COVID nineteen." So those four alternates that that Vlako Andonovsky chose are now going to be. It's going to be a full twenty two player roster. So whereas before, with international teams that were participating in this event had those four alternates. If a player got injured within the 18th, they would be replaced or could be replaced by one of the alternates and could no longer participate in the Olympic Games. So let's say it was maybe just a little nagging knock, but enough to pull them. A head coach can make that choice and say, nope, I'm going to opt for this player instead that would end their Olympic run, but there can be sort of an interchanging uh, flow in between this full 22. So those, so that has been kind of a, a nice new, interesting development for all of these teams uh, ahead of the Tokyo games here. Um, but let's, let's get back into it now that we've got maybe a little bit more answers going into, to this roster. Uh, we, we took a look at them and, and went by position. And we took a look and maybe gave our opinions, but now we have to include these alternates really. And we have to maybe really take a look at this handful of games that the United States women's national team have under their belt before they headed off to Tokyo. They participated in that summer series against uh, Portugal, Nigeria, and Jamaica. And then they had those two uh, farewell games against Mexico before they, they went off to Tokyo. So maybe let's take a look at this roster. And then maybe we'll get into some of these performances they've had uh, recently. So for, for goalkeepers, uh, Adriana France, uh, Alyssa Nair, and Jane Campbell for, for the goalkeepers. For defenders, it's Abby Dahlkemper, Tina Davidson, Crystal Dunn, Kelly O'Hara, Becky Sarban, Emily Stonnet, and Casey Kruger. Uh, midfielders, Julie Ertz, Lindsay Horan, Roosevelt, Chrissy Mewis, Sam, uh, Sam Mewis, and uh, Katarina Macario. And for the forwards, Tobin Heath, Carly Lloyd, Alex Morgan, Kristen Press, Megan Rapino, and Lynn Williams. I got to ask you both, okay, reactions to the news about a full 22? I'm really happy for the four alternates. Um, they they deserve this. They deserve to be part of it. Now they're technically considered Olympians. I was always going to call them Olympians. Um, but now they get a chance to compete. And I think uh, for a player like Lynn Williams, I think she will get time. Um, I think that the opportunity for them all to get time is definitely more prevalent now. But um, now that it's not like trade one in for one out, it's a little more fluid of the roster rotation. And it 
we've preached that the U.S. has depth, and a lot of these squads do, um, and that's why this move from 18 to 22 was huge because now our depth, um, it honestly just got deeper because now we can use these players like Lynn Williams, young, quick, really quick forward coming in and, and thrown into the mix with other forwards that have a lot of experience and older players. Um, it's a different look for the U.S. I mean, I'm just happy for them. I really am like I true joy when I saw that announcement for these players that were on the cusp of it. And now they are fully involved and they, they weren't involved in the last couple of games that the U S did before they were sent off to Tokyo. Uh, they got another weekend in with their clubs in the NWSL specifically, uh, Lynn Williams and, and Casey Kruger with Chicago. Um, so that, we saw, we saw from players like Lynn Williams, she scored two in that game that she was an, still named an alternate. Um, so I'm excited to see Lori, what, what was your reaction when you read that news and, and now looking at these players that get to be on the 22 roster? Yeah. I mean, I can completely agree with everything you said. And, and as we mentioned, the three of us have talked about this and how difficult this decision in general was for Blacko Ananaski being arguably the most um, plethora of players, depth of players that um, any U.S. team has ever had to um, going into a major tournament, which is wild to think about anyway, because of just thinking about the depth that we've seen with the teams previously. But I also think it's interesting because, as I had said, you know, I thought this would be one of the very first years that there was more likely for an alternate to get put in and be swapped out just because of the COVID restrictions and um, the heat that these players are going to go through. And this is, this tournament is nothing like a world cup, right? And we were talking off air. It's like, bam, bam, bam. There's little time to um, prepare. Once you get there, it's really about rest and recovery in between games and who can withstand the, the elements of the tournament really. And so but in terms of player personnel, I think it's interesting. One, I have questions. How is Blacko going to use utilize these players? Is he going to say, hey, listen, like I actually chose these 18 for a reason and I don't want to start mixing things up internally and being like, hey, actually, I, I quote unquote, not I made a mistake. Right. But I chose these 18s for a reason. And then you start to pull um, players of those four that were were the alternates, right? I think that it's an interesting mix on how he goes about that internally with the team. Um, but two, on the flip side of that is like, hell yeah, because I mean, we knew that they were picking um, Tobin Heath, who was exceptional coming into those two Mexico games, right? And like, you see why um, she was actually chosen and bouncing back and, and healing quickly. Um, but there's still question marks about Julie Ertz and where she is in her recovery. So I think this also eases that a lot, right? You've seen Lindsay Horan drop into that six. Now that does that allow for a uh, Lynn Williams to get into the 18 for some of these games, as you mentioned, Lisa. So I think it's it it just allows for, depending on the opponent um, and three group play as well, and to seeing where players are, or if um, it is, is um, Julie Ertz ready to go? If not, great. We'll hold her out. We'll put somebody else in. So, I mean, I think it's really a great thing what the IOC has done here. And it just adds um, a lot of... Um, wiggle room and, and excitement, I think, in terms of who can play against who in, in, in these games for the U.S. Lori, you, you're, you're the player here. You're the legend. You're the United States <laughs> legend. Yes. Thank legend you. here on, on, this, on this episode. So getting, being in that mindset, being in that mindset of, of years of preparation for an international tournament like this, if you can maybe sort of walk us through having to 
maybe go through some of those uh, mental and emotional hurdles Mm -hmm. before entering a big tournament like this, especially maybe for some of these players who were chosen as, as alternates where there's those question marks and the concept of, you know, if you always stay ready, you never have to get ready. Right. Can you walk us through some of that leading, leading up to a big summer games like this? Yeah. I mean, that is a great way to put it as well. I mean, that's why we hear it floated around is like, if you're ready, like stay ready. So you don't have to get ready. And I I think that that we saw that we've seen that with a number of players, but one that comes to mind is an Allie Krieger as well. You know, hadn't been called in for a couple of years and then all of a sudden finds herself starting in games in the world cup. (laughs) You're just like, Whoa, okay. What's happening. But she stayed ready and she believes in herself. And, and I think that's the biggest thing. I, I mean, listen, we're all starting to talk about, um, the mental aspect of the game even more mental health and it is so the smallest little details separate players on this level and it's not like hey good or bad right it is like the littlest things that like a coach maybe is like hey listen like this is what I see and this is what I'm going to go for um instead of this just because looking at the teams that we're going to play doesn't mean that they like you less or not. And so it's really about staying as calm as possible in terms of like your mental approach and how you are just continuing to tell yourself like, okay, I'm here for a reason. I'm here for a reason. I'm here for a reason because everybody is so damn good, right? Everything in the smallest details, the, the, the competition at training. I mean, I can't even, the competition at training is more difficult than a lot of games really, because I mean, people are just like getting in the tackles, um, gutting it out. Um, so it really is just about staying as calm as possible and believing and, and also having a short-term memory is what I would always tell myself is because listen, going in, you're on this 22 roster for a reason. And it's about shining in those moments and bringing out what you do best. And so it's like, Hey, listen, if you don't start or play in a game, the next game you might, cause you don't know if somebody's mm-hmm. going to be injured. I mean, listen, the Julie Ertz is the easiest um, example right now, but you know, she was playing every single minute for however many years, right. We didn't have know who the backup was. Lindsay Haran's um, pushed into that spot. She has to be ready for that. It's just like little, little changes that you have to be ready for. Um, but the more that you can just like it's as cliche as it sounds kind of go with the flow and also don't I don't know if we're allowed to cuss on this but I'm going to say it mind fuck yourself because the more you start to like come up with these stories the the worse it is so it's just about like right what'd you say it like works against you it's almost like reading your own you can almost be like your own worst enemy at times yeah exactly and I think that's what happens a lot and we don't talk enough about it and and I don't want to speak for Lynn Williams but I do remember her saying even before or after the 2019 World Cup when she wasn't picked right she's like I overthought everything and I and what was interesting is I was watching her because I'm a big fan of how she plays and we've seen her dominate on every level right not just in the NWSL we've seen her dominate at, at on the international level and the chances she creates for herself and but you could see that starting to play into her you could see that she was probably overthinking some stuff coming into this roster and I'm like to me it's like I was thinking listen if she's named to this roster we're going to see her starting to score goals right away because it's just some people can deal with it a little bit better right and it's just Mm -hmm. about coaches knowing that how to deal with the players and saying hey Lynn stay calm right like we believe in you and also Lynn obviously saying that about herself too, um, or to herself. Um, but here we are. I, I honestly, with this 22, um, outside of everything I just said, I think it, 
we could see somebody like a Lynn Williams dominate in this Olympics if she's given time. So sometimes that's almost like um, that might be the X factor, right? Yeah. For some of these teams, uh, yeah. it's really like the the mental game, like the mental and emotional yeah. capacity that like an athlete can have mm-hmm. going into this type of tournament. And while like we can sit here on on shows or write about it or speak about it or analyze it or criticize it, whatever. Uh, we can talk about things like the athleticism. We could talk about things like the fitness. We could talk about things like the physicality or lack of physicality among some teams. But that concept, like the the mental component, the um, emotional component, the psychological component of it could really be a huge X factor in a game, in a summer games like this with mm-hmm. where there's so many question marks where uh, with an ongoing pandemic. So um I love that. I think that's huge. That's going to, that could be huge for, for yeah. the U S women's national team. Yeah. In case in point, Carly Lloyd, right. I mean, yeah. listen, like 20 plus years, I mean, like her longevity and it really comes down to the mindset that works for her. Right. Not everybody's going to be a, um, and she's been outspoken about this, right. Me against the world type mentality. Not everybody's going to be having that, um, but that works for her and that's what's gotten her through. And, Listen, it will be an X factor with, for sure, with the elements and how rapid this this tournament um, is and, and goes so quickly. And one thing that you mentioned, Lori, um, and it, when the initial 18 was named and Tobin was on it and Juliars was on it, and those were people, Tobin, who hasn't played and fans have not seen her compete. Um, and there's a lot that happens at those trainings that we don't know about. And we're going to try to break it down and give you guys all the inside scoop that we have. But then we saw Tobin playing in these send-off series games with the United States. And man, she did not miss a beat. So mm-hmm. there is something to be said for players that have it that are just waiting. So like Julie Ertz, we know we haven't seen her yet, but why, why risk playing her in a game against Mexico when you need her against Sweden in the opening game of the Olympics? Um, who's like coming off of an injury like that. And it goes into the mindset of it's, it's not that a player isn't good enough. It's that we need different skill sets. Um, and I think that's why these extra four alternatives, um, now on this full-time roster adds so much more because it's, as you said before, he, Vlad Kondinovsky chose those 18 very specifically and for a good reason and a good purpose. However, when you take a look at that forward lineup, it's all older veteran players that have a lot of experience. If in a game, if, the team gets too into their head. Um, you can throw in a player like Lynn Williams, who doesn't have that experience and is young and hungry and needs to prove herself in these games. It's a different mindset. It's not that Carly Lloyd can't do it. It's that Lynn Williams provides something different, or maybe um, Tobin Heath provides something different than Lynn Williams. It's mm-hmm. the difference in what these players can bring to the table that we don't always get to see. And that as a player, it's really hard to look at and say, why her, why not me? But I, I provide something different than she does. And like you said, I might get it tomorrow. I might get the start tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and to keep that in mind throughout these Olympics, because these games are quick, they're back to back to back and anything can happen. Not only are the games back to back, and the heat and the weather is going to be very difficult task for these players to climb over. Um, they're traveling pretty far. These, these games in three times change are like 
25 to 70 miles apart. So there's travel involved in between these matches for these players and not just the U.S., but all of the Olympic teams that are competing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And then just to take it one step forward uh, further, when you talk about the travel and whether the, everything that we've mentioned, you know, U.S. is clearly the favorites coming into this tournament. And I think this helps them even more because, you know, you would think that it would help some of the other teams as well that haven't been able to play together. But I think with the U.S., it's just like it provides even more depth to this already star-studded roster. And as you mentioned, it just gives a different um, gives you a different look depending on your opponent and where you feel like you need to be able to exploit them or take advantage. And um, yeah, goodness, it's going to be a fun one, especially in this group play. So I want to ask both Sandra and Lori a question. If we're looking at the U.S. and there's depth and there's so many wonderful things that we can point out that are fabulous um, and we are the favorites, the U.S. is the favorites going into this Olympic tournament. If we have to find something to pick apart, something that the U.S., that other teams could hurt us at, um, I'm, I'm looking, me personally, I'm looking at the speed in the back line. Yeah, we have Crystal Dunn, but other players aren't as quick. And if another team, opponents that we're facing up against have really quick forwards that can look to get in behind, will that cause trouble for the United States back line and, and our lack of speed? Um I, I don't know. I mean, Sandra, what do you think if you look at this this team and our opponents, where could where could other teams hurt the United States? Yeah, I don't think I disagree with with you on that, but I, I am going to say in 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 response to that, or I guess is maybe a small answer to that was, well, some of these games that we saw the team, the US, the U.S. Women's National Team go up against before they took off to Tokyo, you know, going against teams like Nigeria going against a team like Portugal, uh, those two send off, uh, friendlies against Mexico where, you know, people are, you know, maybe looking at a scoreline, a dual four zero scoreline against a team like Mexico and thinking, you know, what are you learning there? But all these discussions and all these, um, perspectives coming out of like, uh, media availabilities from black Ondanovsky or even somebody like a, a Becky Sarbron, who's, who's anchoring that, that back line, was talking a lot about some of the the challenges that a team like Mexico had presented the United States with that they had not seen before, prior to to heading off to to the Olympics, and I think we also saw a lot of uh, interesting one v one battles. You know, Kelly O'Hara having to go up against uh, you know Maria Sanchez, who kind of picked her pocket, quite frankly, at times during some of some of the the, the matches and uh, the sort of kind of dual one v one battles with with Sanchez and then uh, Jimena Lopez against Kelly O'Hara as well. That was probably a, a little bit of a, a challenge. So those things that the, this team looks for that we always hear about from the United States Women's National Team. It doesn't matter what game it is or who the opponent is. They're going to take that game. And they're going to find something to work on and they're going to work on it and improve on it and be better in the next game. So while I agree that maybe prior to this Olympics, there were maybe some some question marks around there. I think maybe they might have found some of their answers. And I also really do believe that they started to answer some of those questions a little bit. Uh, in in selecting this roster with the alternates that they selected uh, in in bringing the defensive player that they're going to bring in somebody like a Casey Kruger who can sort of rotate anywhere between that center back position or that outside back position. And we hear all the time, especially from her peers and her teammates, she's like the best one B one defender in the world. So while you have a, a really great attacking outside back, 
in in Kelly O'Hara, maybe there is going to be a scenario where you bring in a Kruger to to help lock things down. And we could possibly see that as soon as something, uh, uh, an opponent like Sweden, uh, where those games are always narrow and those games are always very, very tight. So uh, I don't disagree that maybe if there, if there are question marks or if there are areas that teams that the opposition is looking at to try to go up against, maybe they're going to try to find it in the back line, but it's hard. It's tough, Lisa, to find a lot of weaknesses in this roster right now. Yeah. You know, I, I love both of those things or all of the things that you two have said. Um, and, and for me, it's because it's difficult to find some weaknesses because this team has played so many games together. Um, you know, there seems to, the principles seem to be really dialed in from Blacko and we talked, um, you know, all the players have, have spoken about the little details. I think the biggest question mark is one, the first game, really, how does this go against Sweden, right? Because the first game really sets a tone a lot of times for the tournament and then also how you can utilize players going from there. Um, whether you need to get a result the next game. Yes, of course, you always want to get results, mm-hmm. but like, how can you um, rest and recover players? But for me it's really goes back to the question that we've all been asking is execution in in the thought process in the final third um and, and where does that leave us exposed because if we as sandra said if you're using kelly o'hare as the right back and she's going to get into more advanced positions and there's a team that whether it's sweden in the first game is sitting back which we've seen the u.s have difficulties playing against a team that sits in a low block breaking those team down especially if you're not executing on your chances then are we going to resort to low percentage crosses into the box and hopefulness, right? Because then that's when the U.S. gets themselves in my in trouble, in my opinion. You start to get pulled out of your positions. You get pulled out of your shape. And I wouldn't necessarily call it, um, you know, being um, exposed it with speed in the back, but I think you can get pulled out of your shape. And I think as we continue to see the women's game evolve, as we saw against Mexico, right? I thought they were, even though it was pouring down rain, I thought they were, especially in the first half, I thought they were fantastic. I thought there's times when they're moving the ball like Barcelona in ways that we haven't seen teams. And it, you know, it doesn't always look, I think, to a, the casual eye, you're not going to always notice that because it didn't result maybe in like an end product at that time. Right. But like you're seeing the ideas from these teams that are exposing the U S especially when you get pulled out of shape or if they're, and so one it's execution in the final third. And where does that leave us in terms of positioning elsewhere on the field? And also there's the most video on the U S so all of these teams and video is huge going into this tournament because you can't practice a ton in between games when you're traveling and resting and recovering. So they're going to utilize video against the U S what if teams have done well. And I think then you start to like, look at those matchups as Sandra mentioned, and obviously we're talking about Kelly O'Hara, but pick out anybody really um, in terms of where teams feel like they can expose. And if it's in behind our fullbacks, is it um, on the outside of Lindsay Horan, if she's playing in that sixth position, where, where is the space that these teams can expose? And I guarantee that's what they'll be these, these other teams will be looking at. And that's, those are my main points and where I feel like the weaknesses could be quote unquote. Yeah. I I think, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, Lisa. Do you have another follow-up question? No, it's okay. I'm 
just, I was going to add that it's not a weakness, but honestly an advantage that this U.S. team is a little bit older. What's the average age of these players is like 30, 31 years old. Um, And going up against a team like Sweden, who is the first match, uh, we know that Sweden bunkers down. They sit in that low block. And for young players, that can be really frustrating. I mean, we saw that in the last time we played them in the corner finals. And I hope Solo saying that she didn't like how they sat in that low block or however that story went. But now having a, an experienced team with experienced leaders on this squad, they understand that it takes time and patience. And that's why a game is 90 minutes to break down a low block from Sweden and not get frustrated when they do that because I they're going to do that. That's what they do. And it works against us, uh, against the United States. So now how can they break it down? And, and having that experience and the maturity of older players and veteran players who have faced a team like that to know that, take a deep breath. Don't get frustrated. Try not to get out of shape and out of positionally or frustrated and force things upon a team. That's not the United States style of play and and don't force the ball and don't force possession and don't force formations that aren't working for the United States. Just be patient and work around the block and you'll get in and try not to be hopeful on those, but a little bit more clinical, but yeah, it's, it's finding that balance between what they can do um, and then not getting frustrated with how they'll end up getting it done. Mm-hmm. I think like when we're when we're talking about like potential or possible weaknesses on this team, it's, it's so funny to even say it out loud, but I mean, we even got to see like some real strengths and opportunities, I think for them heading into to Tokyo. I mean, we saw a beautiful team goal, like get called disallowed essentially uh, from the United States women's national team with Chris and press slotting home and getting the finishing, but it had this ball had passed through at least, you know, anywhere from like five, six, seven players before it actually got up uh, into the final third and, and across the, the goal line. Uh, but things like that, like little things that we got to see that we hadn't been able to see prior in really a number of significant matches for this team. Uh, there were questions coming out of that summer series going up against teams like, like Portugal or going up against a team like Nigeria, where those maybe were some of the questions at the time where it was like, well, you have a lot of great forwards that you can rotate across this top line. What, what's with these narrow score lines, right? It's, it's almost like a, it's a, it's a bit of a privilege. It's, it's a little bit, uh, it's a, it's a little bit of a, a fandom and a little bit of a soccer culture that's maybe kind of spoiled when it comes to, to certain <laughs> to certain score lines, quite frankly, yep. right? When you're yep. looking at a number one team going up against whatever X-rated number team. Um, so they're seeing these these narrow score lines and, and stuff like that. But we got to see that in some of these games leading up to the Olympics where we're looking at these very interesting and different type of dynamic looks in front of goal ahead of uh, the summer games, which, which hopefully it was kind of the momentum, uh, that they needed to, to get going. And, and maybe I'm not saying that we're going to be seeing, um, big score lines in this group G, mm-hmm. but maybe we could start seeing some of, uh, some of that more inter combining play, uh, um, in these games coming up. For sure. And I think time, time leading up and having those two games against Mexico were huge. Um, as you mentioned, Sandra, just a different look, right. Than we've seen. I mean, we didn't see, um, 
Mexico just totally sit back, right? They wanted to go out and play. They wanted to test themselves as well. So that opens up a whole other opportunity for the U.S. to test themselves. And, you know, I think we'll see that in a variety of different ways between um, the teams in, in Group G. So, you know, the time the time that they have over in Tokyo now is, is going to be massive. It'll be, it'll be fun. It'll be fun to see. I don't expect massive changes in the lineup um, throughout, um, but it'll be fun to see the little tweaks and the wrinkles that that provides for the U S um, in terms of their opponent. I want to get into the group competition, but my producer has <laughs> let me know that we need to take a break at this moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, let's get into the opposition a little bit. Let's get into the teams that the United States women's national team will be going up against. We've been touching on them a little bit, uh, particularly Sweden, but this is labeled the, the group of death, essentially. The United States got drawn into a group with Australia, New Zealand, and of course, Sweden. It would not be an international competition, quite frankly, if the U.S. wasn't facing off against Sweden in a group scenario in some <laughs> capacity. Uh, but they're going to be facing off against Sweden first to kick off their Olympic Games. It's going to take place on July tw- uh, 21st. And that is a huge, huge way to start off your Olympic Games. I mean, talk about a game that is going to really set the tempo and establish things for you in Tokyo. Uh, Lori, these these two teams, uh, they have a, a history uh, per se together. Some people would maybe even refer to it as a little bit of a rivalry. Uh, <laughs> why, don't you, uh, why don't you shed some light on that for us and our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think this, this rivalry has been going on for for a very long time. And then it was only intensified when Pia Sanage was our head coach for the U.S. And he'd obviously... Um, played for for Sweden is from Sweden and then went on to to coach Sweden after her tenure with the U.S. as well and um, a coach that um, knocked the U.S. out of the 2016 Olympics. It so still hurts. Yeah, it still hurts. Yeah, it's a, the 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 game that no one talks about, right? So. Um, or, or maybe you do internally and use that as motivation, but, um, it is, you know, I think when you think of women's soccer, these are two of the teams that you think about, um, always or continuously have put out, um, really solid teams, um, us being number one, um, for so many years. Um, and then, and then Sweden always being a contender. And I remember in 2011 world cup, they beat us in group play and we had to go on and play Brazil, um, which is like the, the 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 game heard around the world right that i feel like really solidified and put women's soccer on a map for like for good because it was such a wild one um however i you know i think when we talk about teams and and how they play the u.s we've seen a variety of different ways um that sweden's played right which is which is interesting we saw them bunker sit back deep uh, in the 2016 games and and ultimately what won them it was very difficult for the us to break them down they couldn't and um when it's time to execute their chances they did and and then we've seen us being able to match uh excuse me sweden be able to m- match the us in a lot of ways athletically and with their experience um, at the highest level, um, with players playing on in um, high-level club teams, so they also have the ability to keep possession against the U.S. and like get out of that bunker as well. And um, we saw Sweden do that um, a few months ago when they played one another. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I kind of expect 
in this matchup particular, I, I imagine to see a little bit of both. I see them being maybe conservative um, defensively to start with. And then as they wear, work themselves into the game, depending on the scoreline and stuff, then um, I can actually see Sweden coming out. They're not going to be scared that term, the, you know, the, um, I guess for the lack of a better word, I'll use scared, but that is not in Sweden's DNA against the U S anymore. So if it ever was, it hasn't been at least for a decade. So I personally don't think you could ask for a better matchup to get yourself ready and get right into the games because you want to test yourself. You want to be ready. There's going to be energy. There's going to be excitement. There's going to be nerves there. It's um, as we mentioned already a number of times, there's going to be heat. There's going to be the weather that's going to come into play. And it's really going to be, you couldn't ask for a better game to settle yourself in and just get rid of all of that and be focused on the game. And so for the U S perspective, this is a great matchup. And honestly, I, I I'm, give the U S the favors in this game. Um, but when you talk Sandra about tight score lines, I don't see this being, um, a blowout by any means. And in fact, I think it's going to be a tough competition and one that's to be welcomed from the U S especially just that momentum that we talk about going into the second game and then the third, third group, third, third group game. And it's a, it's just a talented roster for them Mm -hmm. as well. I mean, they're going to, they're going to go up against a lot of, of, players who can put in strong individual performances on really across all the top lines. I mean, they've got a great goalkeeper and and Hedvig Lindahl uh, going up against defenders like, you know, Magda Eriksson or Hannah Glass, uh, including NWSL's Washington Spirits, Julia Rodar, a legendary midfielder and and, and Seager and um, strikers who can sneak one in behind you, you know, Sophia Jacobson, uh, Fridolino Rolfo. Uh, a lot of, a lot of great big names there. Uh, Lisa, what does somebody like, like Julia Rodar maybe bring to, to that defensive line for, for Sweden going up against attackers like press or, or Heath or, or Morgan? It's definitely, it will be a tall, tall task for her. Um, I, but for the, this matchup being the first one that the United States is faced against in this Olympics. I think it's great. Um, it's not too big. It's not too intimidating for them for the start of this Olympics. They need to be tested early and they need to know uh, where other teams can break them down and where the holes are um, and then quickly recover to get after that. But um, to have a player like Julia Rotter who goes from the NWSL and Washington and then heading over to the Olympics in Sweden, um, she knows how the United States team plays and she knows players um, in, in this league and, and going up against them and it'll, it'll be tricky and tough, but um, Sweden, they're good. And like Lori mentioned, um, they will provide differences in their attack based on, I think what the U S gives them. So if the U S is constantly attacking, they will sit back and they'll put in a bit of a low block um, and, try to tire out the United States and, and force them to work around. Um, and then when they get their opportunity to go on a quick break, it'll be a, a quick transition and a quick break to try to move down the field and impose on the United States defensive shape and, and get into their back line. Um, they're not scared of this team. And we saw that when they faced back, I think in April, it was of this year um, and a dangerous game for the United States that really tested them. But for the U.S., they were going to face Sweden no matter what. It might as well be the first game. It may as well uh, get all the nerves out of the players because after this game, it 
it's it's not downhill by any means, um, but it's a good steep start for the United States to get going underway early in this Olympics. Um, and Sandra, I want to ask you, um, this team and this rivalry, if, if when you look at Group G and who the United States has to go against, and they get three games um, until they move on, hopefully they move on, but Sweden being the first one, but when you look at Australia and New Zealand, the competition is still there. It's it's the group of death for a reason. Um, which team will give the trouble give trouble to the United States in a different way that that will maybe surprise them? I mean, I know we talked about New Zealand that hasn't had a lot of time together, but what can Australia, New Zealand, and Sweden really put? put the U.S. under pressure and and how will the U.S. handle that moving forward in this group stages? I think I think with with Sweden, they they're going to present that type of, uh, you know, closely contested narrow uh, match uh, with, with the bunker that Lori kind of alluded to. But somebody like a team in Australia, I think, is is very, very unique because and, and Lori alluded to this a little bit already in the rivalry with with, with Sweden and how it kind of uh, took a different shift a little bit with with Pia something getting involved. And I mean, we've got Tony Gustafson and coaching up uh, uh, Australia. So there's uh, there's some there's some ties there uh, between Australia and U.S. And this is a roster uh, that's coming into this Olympics where, you know, they're they're going to have a lot that they want to prove to. Um, this is a team that the Matildas are a team that have been looking for that sort of a big tournament. I feel Uh, they, they, they are a program that has been together for some time. They've had a core of players that have been building towards something. Let's just leave it at that towards, (laughs) towards something they've been building towards something, but the, you know, they, they had a a little bit of a a disappointing ending in, in their prior world cup. They didn't want to go out the way that they went out, but they did. And now they've got this, this Olympics before this, 2023 world cup that they're slated to host. So they're going to want to have a strong performance uh, in this group. And they're going to want to have it against teams like this. They're going to want to have it against teams like the United States, against Sweden, against rivals in, in, uh, in New Zealand. And it's, it, you know, these players are players who aren't unfamiliar with the United States women's national team and the players that they're able to, to compete against. So many of these players have uh, former ties to NWSL clubs uh, from, again, if we look across every single line, whether it's somebody like a, a Lydia Williams in goal, Mackenzie Arnold as well, along their defensive uh, back line, somebody like a Steph Cadley or, or Natalie Carpenter, who really made a name for herself uh, out in Portland with, with the Thorns and uh, their midfielders and, and Emily Van Eggman along their, their forwards with somebody like a Kaylin Ford or oh my God, a Sam Kerr who has, multiple scoring titles in, in the national women's soccer league. So it's, um, it's, there's familiarity there, but tactically uh, I'm not too sure Australia has enough to compete with what the United States could present them quite frankly, uh, because we're watching when we're talking about some of these games that the national, the U S the women's national team have um, encountered before they went to, to Tokyo, you look at Australia and they are kind of in a similar situation where they had a lot of questions presented to them before they headed off to this this tournament. Maybe some score lines that maybe made people scratch their heads a little bit where it's like, wait a minute, what's 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 going on with Australia? What are they bringing to the table? What's what's going on here? So I think it's going to be a, an exciting match. I think it's going to be one that people are going to um, get up for quite literally um, <laughs> ourselves. Set those ourselves, alarms. <laughs> yeah, ourselves uh, included. Um <laughs> 
but I won't be surprised at all if this one maybe comes down to just some uh, some wild runs down the flank. I think there are some very, very talented outside backs uh, that are going to be going head to head uh, in this one in, in particular. So along along with the Sweden match, the game against the Matilda is probably the, the next one that I've got up there for me. Am I am I answering that as well or, or you know what? That? You know what, Lori? I don't want you to chat about the Matildas. <laughs> I think you need to give us the scoop on New Zealand. We were chatting a little bit off off mic about this and even and even on here as we were talking about this this group of death and how um how talented all these rosters are on their own. But what we're probably going to see once the once these teams actually go head to head and we'll start to see maybe some of the differences. Um within maybe some of the preparation that some of these teams had leading into these Olympics. And uh, when we're looking at all of these national teams, uh, New Zealand is, is a team that can maybe look back on their, their number of games or lack thereof, mm-hmm. and maybe have some real question marks heading into a big, big tournament like this. And it's a tough group that they got uh, slotted into here. Um, and their head coach, Tom Sermani, again, someone who's not unfamiliar um, with the U.S. Uh, side of the game, having coached uh, the U.S. Women's National Team, having coached in the National Women's Soccer League, um, he kind of had some some feelings about uh, you know players not being made available going into into this match, and there was a lot of little uh, commotion there about that. But where do you think New Zealand stands in this group, and and what are your in, in impressions uh, of Sermani's uh, recent comments? Yeah, I, you know, in terms of where they stand, what a wild card, because, you know, I think in some ways I think go either way, because this is a team that hasn't played since March of 2020, right? And we had the um, fortune to be able to talk with Tommy about a month ago leading up to these games um, and where his team is. And they had just finished like a two-week camp with a, a good core of players, but still many players not being able to be in, in particular, Abby Erseg and Allie Riley, who have been playing over in the NWSL. And so I think why I say it's a wild card is because they have the talent, or in Katie Bowen, who plays over here as well, um, they have the talent and the experience at the highest level. But when you're talking 16 months without any sort of um, competitive match and, and playing together and, and then looking at the group that they're in, that just, uh, you know, blows everything up, really, because it's like, ah, what, what do we do? Right. And it's really about um getting everybody on the same page as quickly as possible within the 10 days leading up. And that's exactly what Tommy said to us. He's like, it is going to be 10 days of getting everybody on the same page, seeing if we can get the tactics right for that particular matchup. And it's going to be a lot of video. It's going to be getting players out in the field, just making sure that they're prepared and ready to go. And also why I say that it's a wild card is because that's when you're thinking about coming into a major tournament, that's wild in itself thinking, okay, we really have 10 days with our entire team or less. And then, but also then sometimes it's like, hell yeah, that's when teams and team sports are amazing because you just rally around and like, well, this is what's happened. We can't do anything about it. Let's go. Right. Let's have some fun. And I guarantee Tommy will be hyping his team up for that at least. And so, you know, I, I I do have a lot of question marks. I I can't tell you how I think that they're going to play because I don't (laughs) know how they're going to set up. Right. I, I don't even think Tommy does probably at this point in time. However, again, knowing Playing in the coaching in the NBSL, excuse me, him coaching the US 
Um, and then just being able to at least scout these teams, they will have an idea of how to prepare for each of these teams because there isn't a lack of information, right? Um, but, you know, I don't think that's something that we don't talk about enough is like how much the U.S. has been able to play together, how fortunate they are to be able to have camps, the many games that they've been able to have. And then you have some teams... Um, Sandra just spoke about Australia, haven't been getting the results, but Tony Gustafsson will have, he was like basically a defensive coach over the last decade with the U.S. team, set piece specialist for the U.S. team. So there will be some real insights on that side. And then Tommy as well, um, whenever they're playing the U.S. Um, too, to be able to, to prepare their teams. But again, the the length of time off is, as we all know, um, completely unusual and um it'll be i'll be very curious to see which way this goes too and i think that's something that um australia sweden and the united states have at a disadvantage as though it is a bit of a disadvantage for new zealand to not have played as a team and as a unit together there's no footage on them like you said you don't know who's going to start head <laughs> coach tom Germani doesn't know who's going to start opponents don't know who's going to start and who's going to play what they're going to look like um which does prove a big advantage for new zealand and if it, like you mentioned, they could come into this and say, you know what, let's have fun and let's just play soccer. Mm -hmm. If you can study your opponents, you don't necessarily need to know what your game plan is. As long as you know your opponent's game plan and how to defeat it. Yeah. There I mean, you go. <laughs> you're exactly right. And we saw that play out in the euros with the men's right mm -hmm. this past month, like, you know, 16 months is length of time that no one even wants to think about. Cause that just is like <laughs> wild. However, I'll, you know, typically you don't have a ton of time with national teams like that we see with our mm -hmm. U.S. team that have um, weeks together to prepare, right? Typically you come in for a certain amount of time. It's like get on the same page, everyone. And it, it's it's not club, right? It's not a club soccer environment where you're like, this is, we have all this time. It's like, how quickly can you work to the players that you've selected? And, and so in some ways that will be how women's soccer will be going more and more going forward as well as, um, um, it, it, even in the U S it won't be these long drawn outs. I really believe that uh, camps that they have all this time to, to play. And it's kind of uh, like a club team, this will change. And, um, and so is, as much as we don't know about New Zealand in terms of the personnel that they'll have and, um, what that exactly looks like, um, specifics, I'm gearing towards that this could bode well for them, right? Like they are going to be hype. They're going to be excited. Yeah. They're going to be excited about playing together. This is Tom Sermone's last hurrah. He said that, right? Like this is, this is going to be, and, and don't get me wrong, that matchup between Australia and New Zealand is going to be intense for their opening. That is going to be wild. So if you're going to wake up besides the U.S., that's yep. the game that you need to be getting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Especially coffee because <laughs> the it is it's gonna be a fun one. Yeah, Not tons of uh, tons of inter I'm excited for those tons of uh rivalries that ended up happening within this group. It's it's gonna be exciting. Yeah. Sure. And even with New Zealand and Australia, it's, it's if New Zealand comes out and they are a bit unorganized, I think that'll make for a good game. If they are throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks, that's, I think that's what we could see because emotions will be so high in that rivalry game against Australia. Um, and I'm really excited about that one. Yeah. Um, you guys are right. It's, you know, we're talking a lot about like, um, 
X factors and stuff like that. And like, that really could be one of the ones for, for New Zealand and that you're, you're right, Lori, that Australia, New Zealand game probably is going to be one to get up against because if there's a team that actually might have a pretty good idea about New Zealand and who they are and what they present, probably going to be the Matildas. Mm -hmm. So um, that'll be a, a fun one to get up for, for sure. Joe, follow up, Lisa, my bed. I think I cut you off there. Um, and no, you didn't cut me off, but if you're giving me the floor, I will ask more questions because I love picking Lori's brain about this. So <laughs> group stages, they're coming. And if we get through them, when we get through them, we'll see. I mean, a big mountain to climb, but looking at the other groups, um, E and F, who in those stands out to you to be the toughest competition for the United States? Someone that fans in the U.S. should be keeping an eye on in those other groups, those teams to watch? Yeah, I mean, listen, it's because it's such a, there's only 12 teams. I think, you know, the typicals that we would, Brazil, Canada, right? Um, who else? Let's see. Um, Great Britain, Netherlands. I mean, there's going to be some, there's going to be some fun games coming up in this because the, again, they're fast and the fury, they're fast and furious, um, quick succession. And then, you know, we've saw the Netherlands who won the last euros. They lost to the U S in the world cup, great Britain, regardless if, if they're kind of a team that's like thrown together for this Olympics, there's like 10 man city players on there. So it's like, basically when we talk about not being a club team, they are a club team. Okay. So like, <laughs> and, and Hege Reese is their coach. She was our assistant for the U S I love her. And she will no doubt have them organized on Scott our old performance coach for the, they will be prepared and I'll be excited to see how quickly they can get on the same page as well. So, um, but in particular ones that I'm most familiar with right now, because it's the research I, I will. Um, and I'd be remiss not to mention Japan being in their home country. And we've seen a little bit of laps, right? They played in um, big rivalry for a while for the U S and then a little bit of laps in the last world cup. And they didn't qualify for the 2016 Olympics. Um, but I think we're starting to see a resurgence and um, you know, actually they just beat Australia yesterday, one zero on the penalty kick in a friendly match. Um, so I think if they can get into a rhythm and, and their possession, um, oriented styles, just watching them play in the U S and the, she believes cup back from 2020, just to watch them, them play again. And I mean, it's just another level with their possession. So if they can get on a run too, like, we're going to see a lot of different styles of soccer, which is so fun. And, um, you know, it's going to start to come down to like, Again, what we saw in the Euros too, on any given day, who's capitalizing, right? Who's capitalizing and um, taking advantage of, of what they're bringing to the table. It's going to be exciting. I, I, uh, not as many teams as the World Cup, but in a 100% agreement with you. These, these are the tournaments where people get to get exposed to different types of soccer that yeah. maybe they might not have exposed themselves to uh, before or outside of the lens that they're used to, to watching them. And in, in, in this case, in our case, and maybe in our listeners case, you know, the, uh, the American audience uh, lens. So uh, United States women's national team or, or national women's soccer league type games. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's going to, it's going to be exciting 12 teams and there's a, there's going to be a ton there to, to look through. So uh, get your, get your coffee, get your caffeine, <laughs> uh, set your alarms. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited about this. Um, I'm also excited to have you back on on the podcast on the show. Oh my gosh, I know! Like I'm like, get me on with you all the time. Like the two yeah. of you, it's so fun to chat soccer, and I love it. And obviously, 
fun to dive deep in a different way than um, than we usually do. So I love it. But, uh, Olympics uh, kicking off soon. United States is going to take on uh, Sweden again on the July 21st is going to kick things off. They will then go head to head against New Zealand on July 24th and they're going to close out their group stage against Australia on uh, Tuesday, uh, July 27th. So everybody stay tuned, stay excited, keep the energy going. Uh, as always, I want to thank everybody for listening. Quick reminder to follow us on Twitter at Attacking Third. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're also available as videos. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Just visit youtube.com slash Attacking Third. And we will be back with another episode for you all for Sandra Herrera, Lisa Roman, and Lori Lindsay. This was Attacking Third. 